Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. <music> Welcome to the New Books and Christian Studies podcast. I'm David Doyle, your host. This podcast is going to look at a book by Dr. Michael A. G. Hyken of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, The Reformers and Puritans as Spiritual Mentors. I found this book pretty fascinating for a couple of reasons. One, I like his view of history as something that will give us a usable past, not just something that's facts back then that we can't really understand. But the second thing I liked is that He's looked at the Puritans and the Reformers and brought forth some things that are very helpful to the Christian church today. People who want to know how to deal with the Holy Spirit, how to deal with the Bible, how to deal with marriage, how to deal with being a Christian will find much help in this book. Good morning, Dr. Haken. It's a pleasure to to be talking to you this morning. Uh, And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I enjoyed the book read it from cover to cover, which sometimes I know people don't do when they interview you, but I've been a student of the Puritans all of my life since seminary, uh, which is about 40 years, so I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, tell me a bit about yourself so we can start that way, please, sir. Um, I was uh, born in England, and uh, uh, my father uh, is Kurdish, so he had come to study in England uh, from Iraq, actually. Uh, in the late uh, 1940s, and it was there. It was while he was there that he met my mother, who was uh, Irish, and uh, they were married in the in the early 50s. And um, uh, he was um, something that uh, we didn't discover until much later in life. Uh, he was raised Muslim, and um, but when he met my mom, he he became a Roman Catholic, and so I was raised Catholic, and I uh, didn't find out about his Muslim background until probably in my late, uh, I would have been in my 20s before I discovered that. And um, so I was raised Catholic. I was pre-Vatican II. And um, but we uh, we moved to, to Canada in 1965, in December of 65. And uh, during the late 60s, very, very early 70s, I got caught up in that whole uh, youth movement of uh, um, questioning and uh, rebelling against the kind of Western uh, thought at the time. Um, Ended up becoming, for a period of time, Marxist, and then moving from that into a variety of uh, Eastern religions, uh, things like Taoism, Zen Buddhism, uh, Transcendental Meditation. Um, but in, uh, Providence of God, I met, uh, a young woman, uh, in ninth, the summer of 1973, who was a believer, and uh, the woman eventually became my wife, uh, Allison Lowe was her maiden name, and she, I found out she went to church, and I was really wanting to, I was quite confused on some things and wanted to clear up my life and ask if I could go to church with her. And um, the long and the short of that was that I was converted um, to becoming a Christian in uh, 
February of 1974. At the same time, Felt had called the vocational ministry and uh, enrolled uh, on the advice of my pastor. I was saved in a Baptist church here in Ontario, um, a fellowship of evangelical Baptist church, is the group. Um, but he suggested I enroll at Wickler College, which is an evangelical Anglican seminary, which is a very, very good choice. I, I wrestled with being a Baptist initially. Um, <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, part of it, part of it being the lack of uh, any interest in his, his, the historical nature of the Christian faith and the historical heritage. And uh, so, being a being in an Anglican context, evangelical Anglican context, was perfect for for a number of years. Um, went on, did a doctorate there with the college in the University of Toronto and uh, began teaching in 1982 at Central Baptist Seminary, which was then in Toronto, and uh, taught there through to the early 90s, and they merged with a school uh, to become Heritage Theological Seminary, which still exists today, in Cambridge, taught there through until 1999. Um, main interest, uh, I'd done my doctoral work on the fathers, mm-hmm. but uh, patristic, uh, the uh, Defense of the Deity of the Holy Spirit in Basil of Caesarea and Athanasius. Um, but began to realize when I'd been invited in the early 1990s uh, to speak, or in the 80s, to be con- speak in churches sometimes on a histor- topic of a historical nature, I'd suggest, you know, the Fathers, and it became obvious that um, there, was, there was not the interest in the Fathers. They were too arcane or esoteric. And... Um, uh, almost too Catholic for some. And so I began to develop a, a, a secondary area of research, which was the Puritans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would eventually become really the, by the late, by, by the late 1980s, it would, my interest had really shifted uh, to 18th century Baptist and descent. But I spent a lot of time working with the Puritans. And um, so that's how I, I came to be quite interested in, in giving talks about various Puritan figures, um, uh, particularly people like Oliver Cromwell, John Owen, uh, John Bunyan. Mm-hmm. And just to complete the, the kind of bio there, um, in 19, from 1999 to 2002, worked at a publishing house as the director of Joshua Press, and then uh, was principal of Toronto Baptist Seminary from 2002 to 2007, um, I started teaching adjunct at Southern, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2002, and eventually was hired there as full-time uh, professor of church history and biblical spirituality in the, um, in, in the fall of 2007, and com- began, became, uh, started teaching there in um, 2008, full-time, uh, January of 2008. That's where I currently am. Mm-hmm. We have a center there called the uh, Andrew Fuller Center for Baptist Studies, which is, um, in addition to my duties as a professor there, we're put on conferences, um, uh, contacts where we can do research uh, regarding uh, uh, 18th century Baptist life. Wow, good. That is quite a specialty. Um. 
the, the book that we're talking about is The Reformers and Puritans and Spiritual Mentors. And there's a, a couple of questions I'd like to start you off with, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. One is that you use the term a usable past. Um, tell me about that and, and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Well, there are, there are probably a number of ways, well, there are a number of ways of, of, of studying history. And um, one of the perspectives, which was in currency up until probably fairly recently, up until probably the you know the mid to late mid mid twentieth century, was that the the study and reading of the past are helpful because they provide us with wisdom for living in the present. This is certainly a biblical perspective. Mm, the large amount of historical narrative in the scriptures um, is definitely given to us as a way of seeing how God acts in history and learning from that. Um, and there are still some realms of history where this is very, very uh, common. Uh, Neil Ferguson, for example, the uh, economic historian, um, in a, a book uh, that he's, writ- he's written on the um, the the development of money in Western culture, um, talks about, this is one of the reasons why he says that we, we study the past history of finance, is that it might help us know how to act wisely vis-a-vis money currently. Um, but that has, in the last probably 50, 60 years, that position or that perspective has not been uh, the uniform perspective in the teaching of history in the academic academy or in the secular university. And a variety of, you know, perspectives have come in, one of which, which is a postmodern view, so-called, is that um, uh, we we really can't learn, in one sense, from history, because our, our, our writing of history um, is, um, to some degree, a fiction. And um, the, 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 we can never be, you know, we, ha- we have various facts in front of us, but the way we interpret them is completely subjective, and there's no objectivity. So how, how on earth can we ever learn from the past? Um, and I encountered that, interestingly enough, uh, just recently in a, in a bookstore. I was um, buying something, and the person made a comment that was very clearly uh, reminiscent of that perspective. Um, I disagree with that, and I think that the, the reason why we, we want to study the past or the history of the Church is that God has given us, graciously, providentially, providentially uh, a history that we can learn from. And um, so that's what I mean by a usable mm-hmm. past. Okay. Um, it, it's, it, I, uh, it has been abused. So people make all kinds of claims from history uh, about things that, upon closer examination, uh, it's not clear that that's the lesson that one has to draw from that those texts or those events. But nonetheless, I think this is an ideal that we, we need to press towards. Um, and uh, we, we, we study the past uh, so that we might be helped uh, by things that, are, that have gone before in the present. Um, the, the, the proviso of it, of course, is the fact that history never repeats itself exactly. 
um, from a Christian standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, so the, the events that we're, 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 we're listening to or we're studying from the past are never going to be exactly the same. But there are, there are, there are echoes and uh, patterns that are there. And it is from these that we can learn. It seems to me that you're, you're linking this very much with the idea of being a mentor. Um, and, and that was one of the things that fascinated me, because um, I think that, um, especially today, it's, it's awful hard to find mentors. And if we throw history away, uh, we're, we're, you know, basically everybody's reinventing the wheel. Yes. Um, uh, certainly in, in, in the context of what I'm doing in this book, um, the concept of mentorship is, is vital. And so most of the chapters deal with uh, various uh, historical figures, um, people like uh, Richard Baxter um, or uh, Richard Greenham, a uh, Puritan leader, or Oliver Cromwell, and the way in which these people can function as mentors for us. And I think that's uh, a vital area of life, is learning, uh, being mentored by those who have... Uh, uh, lived in this world um, concurrently or before us who can help us in our living. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a vital area of the Christian life. And has, you know, I think, biblical precedent in passages like Hebrews 11 or Hebrews 13.7. Uh, Hebrews 13.7, where the uh, writer of Hebrews argues or urges his readers to imitate um, those who preach the Word of God to you. Mm. imitate their lives. Another question I have for you, looking over the chapter, is how did you come to pick the particular people that you did? Um, some of it, and probably the, I mean, uh, one of the things in the book is an attempt to, to give a fairly broad overview of both the Reformation uh, and the, the and Puritanism. But at the same time, um, there is uh, there is an element of eclecticism here. Um, these are figures who I've written on before, or lectured, or whom I use regularly in the courses in church history that I teach. And um, some of them I'm attracted to by for a variety of reasons. I uh, Richard Baxter, for example, I find. Um, uh, a tremendous example of what it, what Puritan marriage looks like. That was one marriage. of my that was one of my favorite chapters because I've done a fair amount of work on Baxter myself and have never really come across the the, the comments he made about his wife. It was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, some of it is 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 personal choice. Um, if I wanted to be rigorous and say, look, I'm I'm going to give you an overview. I'm going to give an overview of the entirety of the Reformation and the, the Puritanism. Um, there will be gaps uh, in, invariably that I've left out. So some of it is eclectic, but at the same time, I've I, I have uh, tried to give a feel for where the uh, it's the magisterial reformers that I focused on, and where the uh, British Puritans uh, were 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 centered. Can you tell me a bit more about um, Richard Greenham? He was one that I was not at all familiar with. Yeah, Greenham is uh, is an Elizabethan Puritan, 
<clears throat> uh, born in the 1540s. He dies in 1594. Um, most of his ministry after uh, his education is centered in a little village called Dry Drayton, uh, which is just north of Cambridge. And uh, there is a, a bypass currently around uh, Cambridge uh, motorway, and you'll go right by Dry Drayton if you continue far enough uh, uh, east on that uh, on that motorway as you're as you're going around Cambridge. And uh, and his ministry there was prototypical of what the what the um, the Puritans were attempting to do. Uh, very much centered on the preaching of the word, um, mentoring other men, um, involved in the lives of the congregation. Uh, he would regularly uh, go out into the field and spend time with the uh, members of his congregation, the men. Uh, particularly who were um, involved in agriculture, farming, and various other things of husbandry, animal husbandry, and so on. Um, uh, very passionate about the Word of God, uh, shaping life, um, serious in his Christian life. Um, uh, and in the uh, for the bulk of his ministry, to some degree frustrated, by the fact that he felt that he was he was accomplishing very very little, but the reality is that through the men that he mentored, um, within probably a generation or so, by but you know by about the 1630s, there were there was significant fruit that had come from the life and ministry of Richard Greenham, and um, he there. Are, different strains of, of Puritanism, and uh, he represents that strain of a very passionate interest in, in the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, spirituality, spiritual formation, preaching, pastoral care. Um, other Puritans were very interested in the application of Scripture to the life of the nation and the reshaping of, of law and uh, the very involved, therefore, in the in the political realm. This is not Greenham, mm. and Greenham, um, uh, Greenham then uh, would have. I mean, the sort of heirs of Greenham is there's a scream. Men like Thomas Goodwin, John Owen, uh, John Flavel, John Howe, and um, a, a line of of Puritan uh, uh, action and thought and pastoral ministry that is very, very centered on the work of on pneumatology, uh, pastoral care, spiritual formation, and so on. And Greenham really stands at the fountainhead of that. So, um, uh, and I'm not sure where I first came across the name of Greenham, but uh, there are two significant biographies out on Greenham, and um, they're very helpful in orienting uh, one to, to the significance of his ministry. Well, it seems to be different from most of the Puritans that I've studied in church history because he was, I don't know what I want to say, comfortable or willing to stay in, in the background of a small church, comparatively speaking. Yeah, as I said, he, uh, he represents a, a, a type of Puritan life and ministry um, of which there are a good number of representatives as you go into the 17th century. Uh, but someone like Owen 
um, for instance, had a very powerful ministry at a place called Cogshall mm-hmm. in Essex. Um, but through various circumstances, his meeting of, of, of Oliver Cromwell began to be thrust into the larger sphere of life. But um, illustrates his more typical Puritanism in this regard, because after the fall of, of the the um, the, inter- and the the uh, protectorate in the sixteen finds himself again in in a context of some degree of obscurity. As as you also um, one of the other things I thought was interesting was your chapter on Oliver Cromwell. Um, the, the quote that, that you wrote, which I kind of wish we could put out over the Internet today, was that he was a great reminder that public and political life need not be a godless life. Um, I just found reading that in the chapter in the midst of our um, presidential campaign now would, would be something that I wish other people would be mentored by. Um, has Cromwell got anything else to say for us? Um, yes, uh, Cromwell's deep conviction of... Uh, toleration. Um, our whole concept of religious freedom flows from, to, to a large degree uh, from Puritans who are like-minded to the Cromwell. Um, contrary to the, to the view that um, uh, the Puritan movement was deeply um, uh, intolerant um, the way that English Puritanism developed through Cromwell and then its experience in the late 17th century is quite different. And there is there is this this, this motive uh, and theme in Puritanism of religious toleration, and you find it probably best expressed in Oliver Cromwell. Um, and that that's important, uh, given the given the 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 way in which religion uh, has come back into public life with a vengeance in the last 15 to 20 years and shows no sign of abating. In fact, the, the 21st century probably will be a century in which uh, we once again see what we're already seeing, a religious conflict, mm. um, you know, in places like Nigeria. Um, the Cromwell's, Cromwell's vision of, of a state in which there can be a degree of religious toleration is, is is important. He's important to listen to in that regard. Um, Cromwell's uh, ability to rise above the the um, party spirit that all too frequently animates Christians. You know the 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 attempt to 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 um, build up one's own particular uh, party of Christians. Um, and here we're obviously talking about denominationalism. Um, Cromo again shows us a man who's able to buy, rise above that party spirit. Um, and he's a quintessential Puritan. Um, he's very interested in the work of the Spirit of God in, in the, the believer's life. Um, very interested in walking with God. Um, very interested in providentialism, which uh, I think is important for us today. Uh, if one compares the amount of literature written, for example, on Christian guidance as opposed to Christian providence, 
Um, we're very different from the Puritans. Mm. We're, we're much more interested in finding out um, the will of God um, uh, for us in terms of our choices. Uh, but the Puritans were very interested in looking back and seeing how God had shaped and guided their lives and drawing from that wisdom to know how to live in the past, in the present. Um, so Cromwell is very helpful. And he's an activist. Um, he believes that his faith uh, has concrete action in this world. It's not a, it's not a, um, an introspective piety. One of the things I also found interesting in your book is you seem to highlight an awful lot that the Puritans were very interested in the work of the Spirit. Um, not something that, again, I think the Puritans are given credit for. Uh, most people seem to think the Puritans used intellect alone. Um, but the Spirit seemed to be just very, very much in the forefront of what you were pointing out. Uh, yes, it's, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm shaped in this regard by people like B.B. Uh, Warfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in his, uh, the Presbyterian theologian who died in the 1920s, uh, who argues in the his introduction to Abraham Kuyper, uh, his uh, book on the Holy Spirit, a very lengthy introduction running to 30, 40 pages, um, that the work of the Holy Spirit um, is distinctively, that the emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit is distinctively a Reformation theme. And uh, it that, that theme came down primarily in the progress of, of the development of doctrine and theological reflection to the Puritans. And uh, he actually says at one point the Puritan theology was occupied with a, uh, a dogmatic uh, or doctrinal love of uh, a doctrinal love and reflection on the person and work of the Spirit. Um, from another angle, I saw this emphasized by a Puritan scholar named Jeffrey Nuttall who just died recently at a very advanced age. And Nuttall, for an entire career, wrote extensively on uh, Puritan life and theology and emphasized this, this area. It's easy, um, it's easy to think that the Puritans overlooked this area because <clears throat> um, reading recently in the, light, in the work of uh, a man named E.Y. Mullen, who was a, a Southern Baptist
And uh, so, um, the, I mean, the Puritans were very interested in conversion, um, the, the assurance of salvation, uh, how you know you're a child of God, and all of this is tied up with the work of the Spirit for them. Um, their whole their whole emphasis on prayer, which again they inherit from the Reformation, um, is very much uh, tied up with this whole area of of the Spirit as well. And so I don't think it's it's too hard a, 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 a too difficult a point to demonstrate that the, the Puritan movement was deeply shaped by nematology. Mm, that's not something that I've heard much of. Mo- mostly, it's been theology w- that shaped them, not pneumatology. So, so yeah, I'm, um, I'm really glad you brought that out. As I say, um, and I think it's very helpful because the Puritans therefore give us a a um, a pneumatological alternative to a lot of what's going on in the world today in evangelical circles. Mm. Um. I mean, in the 20th century, I think the truth of the matter is that evangelicalism has, to some degree, been afraid of the Holy Spirit. And that's, in large part, because of the rise of Pentecostalism, then the charismatic movement, and then the so-called third wave. Um, and in reaction to that, there's almost been a, a, a silence about the Spirit. Now, this has changed to some degree in the last 15, 20 years. But if you go back into the history of the Church, uh, the way in which that history can become a usable past, or that various figures can be mentors to us, is that the Puritans, the Puritan movement, was deeply interested in the work of the Spirit. And uh, their centerpiece is, to a large degree, very different from the sort of thing that you find in Pentecostalism and the Charismatic movement. And... um, and uh, the third wave, where there has been an emphasis on power and the Spirit giving power. Um, the, the Puritans, for them, the Spirit was a preeminently Christ-centered Spirit. So pneumatology was, was deeply wrapped up with Christology, and the Spirit's great work was the glorification of Christ and the formation of Christ in, in the life. Um, and I think it's a very, I think Puritan pneumatology is very, 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 very balanced and healthy. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have the, I want to climb to the top of the ladder outlook that an awful lot of the spirit talk in the church does today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any other things you want to mention about the book? Um Yeah, I, 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 as I say, I, 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 if, if one comes to the book looking for a complete overview of the Reformation and the Puritan movement, um, you'll be disappointed to some degree, um, because that, that's not the goal of the book. The goal of the book is to, to provide a, somewhat of a, a bit of an overview of, of both the Reformation and Puritanism in terms of some of the central themes of those movements, but also to to, to show how um, reading the past uh, can be of enormous benefit uh, for the present in terms of one's personal walk in Christ and one's corporate walk in Christ. And um, so the, the book then is an exercise in uh, uh, resourcement, as, as the word is sometimes used, the, the idea of going back to the past and finding resources 
to help revitalize us in the present. And um, just as the just as the reformers themselves went back to both scripture and the early church to find revitalization of Christianity in Europe, in Western Europe, in the um, the late medieval period. Uh, likewise, I think that uh, some of the way forward for us is uh, by finding revitalization in the past, um, finding themes and expressions of biblical Christianity that we have neglected or forgotten as a way of trying to revitalize our churches. Um, obviously, there has to be attention paid to the circumstances in which we live today because we don't live uh, in a vacuum, nor do we uh, nor do we live in a, in a situation that is identical to any of any past scenario. But having said that, and having stressed the importance of knowing the times that we live in, nonetheless, uh, the past can give us enormously helpful lessons. I agree. I think that's one of the one of the things that kept me in the book so much was how the past can help. Uh, in in almost a, a vacuum that we live in today. So I really, really am glad for the project. I think it's done a, a great deal, uh, and and I hope that uh, many other people read it. Um, so what's next then? If we've it got, is, this well, is in a that start. series, yeah, in that series, there is the Christian Mentor. There actually will be uh, four other volumes. There'll be one that deals with the early church, which is volume one. Uh, this one came out uh, first. It's volume two, but there is obviously a volume one. Is, is that rediscovering the church fathers? Yeah, uh, no, no. Okay. That, this will be different from that. Um, but again, it will be similar, because what I'm doing in Rediscovering the Church Fathers, which was published by Crossway, um, is I'm looking at, this is how we read the fathers. Um, and looking at, um, again, there's, uh, it, it's a bit more academic in some ways, but it, it has the same kind of goal, mm-hmm. is how can the fathers help us? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there'll be a, a third volume, which will deal with the 18th century, and then the fourth volume will be 19th and 20th, okay. uh, very early 20th century. So. Any time frame for those? Um, some of that depends upon the publisher, and probably the, the next volume that'll be out will be volume three. That's pretty, that's pretty well done, um, although we do need to get volume one out <laughs> uh, uh, probably soon, but uh, we'll see. The, 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 the publisher's own um, publishing uh, schedule uh, will determine to some degree the, the, the appearance of those. But hopefully Volume 3 will be out by 2013 good. and maybe also Volume 1. All right, good. Anything else you're working on? Um, the big project I'm working on is a thing called the Andrew Fuller Works Project, mm-hmm. which is a uh, I'm supervising as a general editor a a 15-volume edition of the critical edition of the works of Andrew Fuller. Um, it was going to be published by Walter de Gruyter, which is a academic publishing house based in Berlin and also Boston. And uh, it'll be similar in scope and uh, feel and look to the Yale edition of the works of Jonathan Edwards. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the big thing. Um, I have a little volume on a man named Samuel Pierce that'll be out Shortly, uh, he was a co-worker with um, uh, William Carey, and then also a small book on the doc- development of the Doctrine of Trinity in the early church, uh, which is quite small, but it's in a 
four chapters tries to tell the story of the development of the doctrine uh, between uh, the New Testament and the Council of Constantinople in 381. You certainly have got your feet on both ends of history here. Yeah. Well, very good. I want to thank you for uh, being on the, the broadcast today, Dr. Haken. I am very much enjoyed the book. Um, I've downloaded the uh, Rediscovering the Church Fathers, and that's next on my list, so I'll be looking forward to that. And thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Have a great day, sir. Goodbye. You too. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a podcast for the New Books and Christian Studies, and I'm David Dole, your host. Goodbye.